Well, I hope you meant what you just sang. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, and not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. I can think of nothing better to sing as a church remembers its uh, anniversary. Well, I bring you greetings from Cholton Evangelical Church in uh, Manchester. Your brothers and sisters there uh, pray for you and remember you. Um, And if you are not from this church, but you're visiting to support this church's anniversary, well, greetings to you too. Let's turn in the scriptures to, first of all, to the book of Exodus Exodus and chapter 12, and then we'll read from Matthew chapter 26. So if you want to have a finger in Matthew chapter 26, uh, then you can do that. But first of all, we'll be reading from Exodus and chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, and we'll read the opening 14 verses Uh, These verses describe the institution of the Passover. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, Every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails, You shall let none of it remain until the morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. And will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. 
I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. And now on to Matthew and chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, and we'll read together the opening five verses. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Well, I would encourage you to have that passage open in front of you that we just read together in Matthew's Gospel and chapter 26. And over this anniversary weekend, I plan, God willing, to preach three sermons, looking at three episodes in Matthew chapter 26. First, the plot to kill Jesus Uh, Second, the anointment of Jesus at Bethany. And third, the betrayal by Judas. Uh, These are not three random episodes that Matthew just happened to record in his Gospels. Um, They fit in with what has gone before, they link in with what will come after, and they hold together as a piece. But this evening, I want us to focus on just the opening five verses. So that's Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 to 5. And the title for the sermon this evening is God's Good Plan or Man's Evil Plot. God's Good Plan or Man's Evil Plot. Because that is what these verses are telling us. These verses are telling us of God's wonderful, magnificent, glorious plan of salvation for all those who will trust in the blood of the Lamb the Lord Jesus Christ. And these verses are also telling us about wicked men who are plotting to reject Jesus, to refuse Jesus, to rebuff Jesus, and ultimately to destroy Jesus. They want to get rid of Jesus. And the question that faces us tonight is simply this. Are you trusting in God's good plan of salvation? Or are you plotting together with wicked men? Because you're either doing one or you're doing the other. You are either trusting in God's good plan or you are plotting together with evil men. There is no middle ground. 
There is no sitting on the fence. You cannot have a foot in both camps. Either you are trusting in God's good plan for your salvation, or you are siding with those ones who wanted to get rid of Jesus. And so those two questions are going to be our two headings tonight. Are you trusting in God's good plan? Or secondly, are you plotting with wicked men? First of all then, are you trusting in God's good plan? Because it is God's good plan that is mentioned first in these opening verses. And here we're looking then at verse 1 and verse 2. Just read verse 1 and verse 2 again with me. And in verse 1 and 2, Matthew tells us, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, that Matthew connects what Jesus is about to say with what Jesus has just been saying in the previous chapter. For the opening words of verse 1 are, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings. Well, what were the previous sayings of Jesus? Well, it was all connected with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and the coming of the Son of Man and the end of the age. If you look back at what Jesus was previously saying, that's what he was talking about. He says this temple will be destroyed and the Son of Man will come at the end of the age. Superficial, outward, ceremonial religion will be gone. And the very last thing that Jesus had said was that the Son of Man will come in his glory with all the angels with him and sitting on his glorious throne. And now Matthew tells us that when Jesus had finished talking about that, he went on to say this. In other words, the Son of Man cannot come in all his glory. The Son of Man cannot sit upon his throne unless he is first crucified. Before glory comes suffering. And then Jesus says to his disciples in verse 2, You know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now, when Jesus says, you know, he may actually be saying it in the imperative. In other words, you need to know. You must know. I want you to know. This now is important. This is vital. This is essential, says Jesus. And even though 2,000 years have passed since Jesus first uttered these words, these words have not lost their importance for us. If you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ this evening, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to know this. You must know this. The Lord wants you to know this. And what? What is it? What is it that the Lord wants you to know? Simply this, it was always God's plan 
that his son should be the sacrifice that pays for the sins of all those that will trust in him. It was the plan of God since before the foundation of the world. The death of Christ upon the cross was no accident. You know that, don't you? It wasn't a mishap. It wasn't a misstep by Jesus. It wasn't just a twist of fate. It was always part of God's plan of salvation. Jesus here deliberately links his own crucifixion with the festival of Passover. Look look again at the words that Jesus uses. He says that you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now Jesus isn't here just giving us a time frame. He isn't just letting them know that his crucifixion will happen in a couple of days. No, he's deliberately saying that his death upon the cross will be the ultimate fulfillment of the festival of Passover. What is the festival of Passover? Well, earlier on in our service, we read from Exodus chapter 12, which describes how that festival first came about. The events described there took place more than a thousand years before Christ. The Hebrews at that time were slaves in Egypt. Moses was chosen by God to deliver his people to the promised land, but Pharaoh said, I will not let them go. So God sent nine ruinous plagues, yet still Pharaoh said, I will not let them go. So a tenth plague, a final, calamitous, devastating, cataclysmic plague was sent upon Egypt. The plague of the death of the firstborn sons. But the Hebrews were told to prepare for the exodus, prepare for your freedom. They were told to eat a meal of roasted lamb, to be ready so that they could leave Egypt for the final time, leave Egypt forever. And they were also told to avoid the plague of the death of the firstborn. They had to take the blood of the lamb and smear it on the two doorposts and across the lintel of their houses. In other words, the blood of an innocent creature, a lamb, had to be shed on a vertical piece of wood and a horizontal piece of wood, the doorposts and the lintel. And God promised that if they did that, the angel of death would pass over that house. That's what the Hebrew slaves had to do. They had to trust in the blood of the Lamb. And every year since that time, Jews have celebrated the Passover festival in memory of their exodus from Egypt. Every year, huge crowds of Jews would would flock and converge upon Jerusalem and celebrate Passover. But now, In Matthew chapter 26, verse 2, Jesus is saying, Now that feast will have its fulfillment when my blood is shed on the wooden cross. And that's why Jesus says to them, You know, meaning you need to know, that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Jesus isn't just giving a time frame. He isn't just saying it will happen in a couple of days. 
Jesus is saying, I am the Passover lamb. My blood will save you from all your sins. It was God's good plan from the very beginning. The origins of the feast of Passover are located in an event that happened just over 1,300 years before Jesus was born. And yet it all points to Christ. It all foreshadows Christ. It all anticipates Christ. But we could go back even further in the Bible story. We could go back to the days of Abraham, sacrificing his son, Isaac, on the mountains of Moriah. You remember how Abraham was stopped right at the very last moment. He, he held up the dagger ready to sacrifice his one and only son. And at the last moment, the angel of the Lord said, stop. And an innocent creature, a ram, was offered as a substitute. But we could go back even further than that. We could go all the way back, all the way to the very beginning, to the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what Adam and Eve did when they realized they were naked? They made clothes out of pathetic fig leaves to try and cover over their shame. But what did God do when he discovered them? He gave them animal skins, which meant taking an innocent creature, slaughtering it, skinning it, fashioning clothes out of the skin. They would have seen the blood that was shed from this innocent creature in order to cover and be a better covering for their shame. So do you see all the Bible story from the very beginning, from Genesis all the way through, points to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Garden of Eden points us to Jesus. Abraham offering his son Isaac points us to Jesus. Moses himself points us to Jesus. The Passover points us to Jesus. This has been God's plan of redemption from the very beginning. And that is why Jesus says, you know, you must know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Jesus says, this will be. He will be delivered up to be crucified. It shall be. It must be. There is no doubt at all in the voice of Jesus. Not a hint of hesitancy in what Jesus is saying. No uncertainty at all. Jesus is absolutely emphatic and decisive. He will be delivered up to be crucified. And why? Because this has been the plan of God from the very beginning. And when Jesus says he has to be delivered, delivered up, yes, that means he will be delivered into the hands of the religious rulers by Judas and yes, it means he will then be handed up, delivered up into the hands of the Romans by the religious leaders. So yes, in that sense, Jesus is delivered up. But much more profoundly than that, Jesus is delivered up by his own Father in heaven. And why? Because that has been God's good plan from the beginning. It's just as the angel said at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. When Mary was found to be with child, an angel appeared and said to Joseph, Now you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Again, that same definite note, he will 
save his people from their sins. And he'll do it by dying upon the cross. And he'll do it in fulfillment of the Passover. This has been God's good plan from the very beginning. But here's the question for you all tonight. Do you trust in that plan? It's as simple as that. Do you trust in that plan? When the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, they were told, slaughter the lamb, take the blood, put it on the doorpost, put it on the lintel. If you don't do that, then the angel of death will curse your firstborn too. But for those who did it, they were saved. But it's got to be that way. No other way. You can't make up your own way. It's got to be God's way. But even that was a sign pointing towards the Lord Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. It is his blood that we truly must trust in. So are you trusting in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ this evening? Has he really died for your sins? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? You know, back in Egypt, all those thousands of years ago, the Hebrews had to trust in God's plan. God told them to be ready. He told them, prepare the lamb. Told them to trust in the blood of the lamb that was smeared on the wooden doorposts. And as they sat under the protection of that blood, they had to trust that the angel of death would pass over their home. And he did. And they were rescued. And they had their freedom from their slavery. If you are not trusting in Christ tonight, you are a slave. A slave to your sin. A slave to your sinful life. And there's only one way to be rescued from it. And that is to trust in the blood of Christ. So this evening, you need to trust in God's good plan. You need to be ready for your exodus out of this world and into the world to come. You need to trust in the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, You can't rescue yourself. None of us can. We need God to do it. But if we are trusting in the blood of the Lamb, then death holds no fear for us. For God will rescue us from our slavery to sin. But we've got to trust in God's good plan. Or are you rather plotting with evil men just to get rid of Jesus from your life? Because you're either trusting in the blood of Christ or you're wanting to get rid of Jesus from your life. So having looked at the first question, are you trusting in God's good plan? Let's look now at the second question. Are you plotting with evil men? Look at verse 3 and 4 and 5 of Matthew chapter 26. Just read verse 3, 4, and 5 with me. And in verse 3 and 4 and 5, Matthew says this. He says, Then the chief priests, the scribes, the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now I want you to notice all these people were outwardly religious. 
There were the chief priests. There were the scribes. Their job was to make meticulous copies of the laws of God. And because they made meticulous copies of the law, they they were often experts in what the law said. And then there were the elders of the people. People who were respected. People who had a position of authority. People who were honored. And they all decided to meet together in the palace of the high priest. So you have the high priest as well. Not just the chief priests, the scribes and the elders, but the high priest as well, Caiaphas. All the offices of the religious leaders of the day. And outwardly, these people held all the positions of honor and respect. Outwardly, they were upright, dignified. Outwardly, they were virtuous and worthy. But what was going on in their heart? In their heart, they were furious with Jesus. And they just wanted to get rid of Jesus. Does that describe anyone in church tonight? Is there anyone who's gathered here tonight who is merely religious on the outside? Here you are in church this evening. You've sung hymns. You've bowed your head in prayer. You've got your Bibles open in front of you now. Maybe you are outwardly honorable and respectable in all manner of ways. But all of that's on the outside, isn't it? I'm asking you what's going on inside, in your soul, in your heart. Do you really love the Lord Jesus Christ? Or secretly do you resent him? Secretly, do you hate him? Secretly, do you wish he would just go away? Privately, in your heart, are you just plotting to get rid of him somehow? You don't want the voice of Jesus in your head. You don't want the voice of Jesus in your heart. And you don't want him in your soul. You know, time and time again, Jesus has said, throughout Matthew's gospel, but throughout all the gospels, he is not interested in mere outward religion. He is not interested in mere superficial, hollow, shallow, hypocritical, artificial, fake, phony religion. Jesus doesn't want you to be a religious hypocrite. No, he wants you to live a life of true repentance and true faith, trusting in him every step of the way. He wants you to truly love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul. But if your religion is just on the outside and secretly you're rejecting Jesus inside, you are no better than these men who gather together to plot against Jesus. It is as though you were gathered with them in the high priest's palace, surrounded by the scribes and the elders, and you think you're in good religious company, but secretly in your heart, you want to get rid of Jesus. We're told these plotters wanted to arrest Jesus by trickery. That's what it says in verse 4. Just look again at verse 4. And in verse 4, Matthew tells us they plotted to take Jesus by trickery. 
In other words, they wanted to be sneaky about it. They wanted to be sly and secretive. They wanted to hide what they were doing. They wanted to try and do it, but keep it covered up. And why? Why did they want to arrest Jesus? By trickery. I mean, after all, if they were truly behaving honorably, if it was all above board, if it was all righteous and just, why do it by trickery? Why not just be open and transparent? Why use deception? Why all the cloak and dagger stuff? I'll tell you why. Because deep down they knew they were doing a shameful thing. A wrong thing. They were doing a wicked thing. And they knew it. And still today, still today, people are very good at hiding their true feelings about Jesus. Still today, people use trickery to conceal their real intention. They obscure and they disguise what they really feel about Jesus. Is there anyone in church tonight like that? Anyone who, on the outside, looks religious and virtuous, but on the inside, secretly despises him, secretly hates him, secretly wants to get rid of him, and you use trickery to conceal the fact so that others don't think bad of you. If that's what you're doing, if that's how you feel, you are no better than these men who gathered at the high priest's palace. And notice also that they want to kill him. They want Jesus dead. They want Jesus obliterated. They don't just hope that Jesus might go away. They don't just want Jesus to move on out of Jerusalem. They don't want Jesus just to head off somewhere else. They want to kill him for good so that he never comes back. They want to destroy him. And again, that is what people are like, even still today. They want to kill off all idea of Jesus. The mere mention of the name Jesus is enough to make some people furious with rage. You know, some people will happily debate religious ideas until the cows come home. But the second you mention the name Jesus into the conversation and start talking about him as a real living person that they need to know, they will shut you down instantly. Don't talk to me about Jesus. I believe in God, but don't talk to me about Jesus. You see, they want to kill off any idea of Jesus. They're just the same as these evil men who wanted to kill Jesus. But look at verse 5. Just read verse 5 with me. And in verse 5, Matthew tells us, But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. In other words, yes, they wanted rid of Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. But they wanted to also to maintain their popularity with the people. And they knew that Jesus was popular with the ordinary people. Huge crowds had cheered Jesus when he entered Jerusalem. And despite the religious leader's best efforts to test him and trap him and 
trip him up in his words. The reputation of Jesus was undamaged. If anything, it had been enhanced because every time the religious leaders came to him with a question, Jesus had a better answer. And these religious leaders, they knew there would be uproar if they killed Jesus, especially during the Passover festival. And that, in part, is why they were trying to be so sneaky about it. That is why they were trying to be secretive and sly. Oh, and there are people just like that in our world today. People who know that Jesus is a popular figure. They know that people admire Jesus for his teaching and his moral purity. They know people follow Jesus and love Jesus and trust in Jesus. And maybe they don't want to be seen to hate Jesus, but deep, deep down they really do. They really hate him. They really want him destroyed forever. They really do want to kill off any idea of him. They may never say so openly, but in reality, that is exactly how they feel. Well, I'm a visitor among you tonight, and I don't know you all very well. I know some of you, but I don't know all of you, but I know this. There are only two groups of people in this room tonight, in this church building tonight. There are those who are trusting in God's good plan, in the blood of the Lamb that was shed. They're trusting in the Christ who was crucified in Jerusalem at Passover. They're trusting in that plan of God that has been in place since before the foundation of the world, knowing that it is the only way their sins will be forgiven. And then there are those who just want rid of Jesus. There are those who are plotting against him in their own heart. They want to appear to be outwardly respectable, but secretly they want rid of Jesus from their life. They may not say so publicly, but privately. They want to obliterate any mention of Jesus. They simply don't want Jesus in their lives at all. Well, for those who are trusting in God's good plan, there is forgiveness of all your sins. No matter how bad your sins are, no matter how many they are, the mercy of God through the Lord Jesus Christ is greater. And there is reconciliation with God. There is fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There is adoption into the family of God. There is eternal life in heaven. And these are wonderful things. But for those who are secretly plotting against Jesus, who reject Jesus, there's nothing but darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. As this church remembers its anniversary, as this church remembers the hundreds of years that the gospel has been preached in this place, I ask you tonight, to which group do you belong? Are you trusting in God's good plan? Or are you plotting with evil men? 